Let's pray. Heavenly Father, shine into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, the light of your love given us through Jesus and his cross. We ask in his name. Amen. So Jesus says in John 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that those believing in me should not walk in darkness. You do know what he's saying. Apart from me, the world is a dark place. Unless you believe in me and my love and my cross and my open tomb, you're in the dark. It's either or. Either you have experienced through a faith relationship light in Christ, or you're in the dark. There's no in-between land where, oh, it's kind of gray. No, it's either light or dark. Now, in the Gospel of John, and hopefully you followed my advice way back in October when I encourage you to read through the Gospel of John at least once a month. Now, if you haven't done that, you can catch up in maybe five or six hours. But in the Gospel of John, three specific things are spoken of as darkness. Number one is unbelief. Number two is evil. And number three is death. So let's look at those three. Do you like that passage from Isaiah? God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. God did it. Well, look at it this way. The great irony is that the same message that gives us unlimited comfort, freedom, joy, excitement, is the same message that hardens hearts and blinds people's eyes. It's the cross. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. So you're ready for your Greek lesson? What's the Greek word for stumbling block? Scandal. You've already crossed that word a couple of times in the service. The cross is a scandal. Who would believe in a Messiah who has come to renovate and recreate the world and he dies on a cross? You gotta be kidding me. Are you out of your mind? What kind of Messiah is that? You know, even the devil was fooled. Anselm has this amazing illustration of a fishing hook with a worm on it. The devil is the fish, and the hook with the worm is Jesus on the cross. And he says, good. We can kind of finally get rid of this guy. 
and he bites into the worm, and guess what happens to him? He gets hooked. But most people see the cross as a ridiculous message. How can that bring love and joy and comfort and strength into your life? It's a man dying as a criminal, nailed to a cross. You must be out of your mind. How is looking to the cross going to change you or help you or strengthen you or encourage you? And so most of the world, the way God hardens hearts and blinds eyes is through the message of the cross. Isn't that silly? Did you like the hymn of the day or the song of the day? Uh, one thing that keeps us humble is Jesus in John 6, verse 44 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Don't get all puffed up. Don't get a big head. Don't think it was your decision or that you're such a virtuous person that you believe in Jesus and others don't. No, stay humble. You didn't choose me. I chose you. That you should go and bear fruit. That you should be my disciple. That you should follow me. That you should experience the wonder the excitement, the thrill, the power of my death on a cross. The second one is evil. You know, most religions, and I would say even a majority of Christians, the latest Gallup poll is that 52% of born-again Christians believe that they're saved because of what they do, not because of what Christ does, has done, and is still doing in our lives. So when it comes to evil, most preachers will say, well, you have a general sense of right and wrong. Now get to it. It's your willpower. That's how you defeat evil. That's how you overcome the darkness of evil in this world. I've often said that a typical Christian sermon is, uh, you've been bad this week, but God forgives you. Now get out there and try harder. Is that where your strength comes from? Is that where the power to defeat evil comes from? From me? From my own inner gumption? Now, I said most religions, you do know that the Judaism today is Pharisaic. It's, it's Pharisees. The Pharisees won out. And the Pharisees believe, this is the honest truth, the Pharisees believe that if you read the law and meditate on the law, that the law will inspire you and empower you to obey it. 
How's that working out for you? You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that when the Jews read Moses without Christ, that's the veil. They really don't know what's going on. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, the God of this world has blinded people to the glory of the gospel revealed in Christ, the glory of the gospel, the cross. So the first step is humility. You know the first step of, of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. The first step is admit you're powerless. You can't do it. Now, there is a divergence of opinion among Christians, and I guess that's to be expected, but, but most Christians see the Christian life as a result of Pentecost, that God gave us the Holy Spirit, and that gives us a jolt of energy, that gives us a boost of desire and inspiration. Let me tell you what Scripture says. Luther's favorite verse about the new life, and it's also the verse that is one of my favorites, if not my favorite, is Galatians 2.20. You have been crucified with Christ. Well, let's make it more personal. Let's say it the way Paul says it. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You're a new person. Christ is in you. Christ's righteousness is in you. Christ's presence is in you. We remind ourselves of that and experience that personally in the Lord's meal. But Paul says that trusting in Christ, you've put yourself to death and Christ comes alive in you. Christ desires, Christ's light And don't forget verse 21, where he says, okay, what about the law? And he says, the law can't justify you. Only Christ and his presence and his gift of perfect righteousness, that's the source of new life. Now, I've said this so often, it's a broken record, but one of my favorite preachers says it quite plainly. He says, sanctification, Christian life, living in the light, is nothing more than living out our justification. Try that. Start with an hour, then go to a day, then maybe a week. You won't make it, by the way. Because our basic sin and the source of all sin is self-justification. Uh, the Bible class heard me say today that 
the spiritual gift I possess is complaining. I'm really good at it. You know, invite me over for a meal sometime and I'll complain about this and complain about that and why isn't the church doing this and why isn't the church doing that? I uh, had a picture that I used in one of my visual sermons at Mount Olive um, where it was a horse and his legs were about eight feet long and there's a person riding the horse and it says, get off your high horse. Who died and made you God? Who died and made you the Lord of your life? Knock it off. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and who lives in me. You have a new identity. Live out that new identity. And the Holy Spirit will help you to do that by continually reminding you who Christ is and what he has done. Okay, let's go to death. And I got a quote by Bertrand Russell. He was the most famous philosophical atheist there ever was. I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, I just want to tell you some stories. In uh, Forest Grove, one of my favorite pastors was Ivan Marble. Uh, he was pastor at the Church of God in Gales Creek for years and years. But Ivan Marble, a gracious, gentle soul, was the go-to guy when the funeral home had a family that didn't have a church. And so I was curious, what does Ivan say at a funeral uh, for a family that's not a church-going family, that's, that's not in Christ? Okay, this is his sermon. Are you ready? This person is still alive in your heart and in your mind. Whoopie-doo. Ain't that wonderful? This is an amazing statistic. 35% of born-again Christians don't believe that Jesus actually literally rose from the grave, rose from death. 30, now, uh, Lutherans are only 13%. I was kind of surprised. Baptists are 31%. Episcopalian are 30%. The one that wins the lottery going away, United Methodists, 51% do not believe in the literal, actual resurrection of Christ. So what do they preach on Easter? What's the pastor get up and say? Well, this is it. Are you ready? The disciples had experienced Jesus' teaching and his miracles. 
And after he died, his teaching and his miracles came alive in their mind. Okay, here's my theological observation once again. Whoopie-doo! You mean death is final? You mean that's it? End of story? And the only significance I have is that people still think about me? Well, that's going to go away. And when I die, I, I don't want to shock anybody, but I'm going to be either ashes or compost. And that's the end of my story? You know, in C.S. Lewis's trilogy, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the last line of that book, and I can't quote it exactly, but it's something like this. And it's talking about death, where the author writes, and now begins the real story where each chapter is better than the previous one. Now begins the real story. I want to talk about Karl Marx and John Lennon because this has been swallowed by a lot of people. Uh, Karl Marx said religion is the opiate of the people. You experience bitterness in life, not to worry, one day you'll experience bliss in heaven. So the way you keep from being earthly-minded is to be heavenly-focused. Well, John Lennon says it, perhaps even better. Imagine there's no heaven. Below us, no hell. Above us, only sky. It's easy if you try. Imagine all the people living for today. That if we would quit thinking about heaven, we would be more effective today. Well, you know what C.S. Lewis says about that. In his classic, Mere Christianity, it's book three, chapter 10, it's on hope. And if you've never read it, you can get it free on the internet. And as we know, everything on the internet is good, so not to worry. Uh, but Lewis says something like this. He says, you know, people say that if you're heavenly minded, you're not gonna be any earthly good. He says, haven't you read history? The apostles, the English Christians who abolished slavery in England. And by the way, you do know that the hospitals, the orphanages, all the help agencies were started by Christians. All the things that are of earthly benefit were started by Christians. And he said, you know, as a general rule, 
It's when Christians have ceased to think about heaven that they become ineffective on earth. When Christians are heavenly minded, they are earthly good, earthly a benefit. And he sums it up with a very short and pithy statement. He says, aim for earth and you get neither, neither heaven nor earth. Aim for heaven and you get both. Uh, I know this has been overused. It impressed me when I was in Walther League at McGregor, Iowa, uh, when the pastor, his sermon, which was on the signboard was, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? We truly only become alive and active, excited and energized when we look to Jesus' resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this world is a dark, dark, dark place. Shine the light of Christ into our hearts and our minds today. We ask in his name. Amen.